You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. Good morning, everyone. My name is Tony. I'm one of the pastors here at LifePoint. Man, thank you, worship team. You're making it easy for me this morning. If you've got your Bible, you can turn to John chapter 14. This morning, we're continuing on in our series off of Pastor Drew's book, A Prince from the Ashes, um, when it shares God's heart for us, and that is a testimony of every believer that we were poor and pitiable and naked, and the Lord took us out from that pit and placed us in the broad place on solid ground, and he took us up and, and placed us among princes, his word says. And so this is our testimony and I really believe uh, this morning that God is, wants to take us deeper into his heart. Last week, Pastor Drew shared about the love of God. And he, he said something really um, unique or really powerful last week is when we think about the love of God, oftentimes we think, yeah, I know all about that. We sing about it every, every week. We sing about the love of God. And we think we've got it figured out. But, you know, the love of God is, is, is never ending. It's never ending. It goes deeper than you could ever know, deeper than you could ever go. The love of God is bigger than you could ever imagine. And there's no end to us discovering this love of God. And so then our whole life is this response to God's love, is this response to God's love, this, this, this laying down of our lives that says, God, you, you gave your life for me, so we lay down our lives now for you. And the minute we think we've got it figured out, we should get on our faces before, G, before the Lord. Amen. This morning, I, I, I'm just, I'm stirred, um, all week I've been stirred and eager to share this word on encountering the Holy Spirit, encountering the Holy Spirit. Um, I just, I really, I really believe that the days of Sunday morning churchianity are done. I think they need to be done. And I want to just boldly declare this morning that for us, for this church, we can't decide any other church or any other body, but for us, we're going to say today on March 21st, we're going to put the final nail in the coffin for Sunday morning churchianity, that we'd say we're going to put an end to it. For, for, for far too long, many of us, we've been content with faithless prayers. We've been content with a form of godliness that denies any power. We've been just going through the motions, and God has said the invitation this always, this invitation, no matter if you've walked with him for two minutes or your entire life, there's this invitation to come. There's more, there's more, there's more, there's more. And this morning, I really believe that God desires that we have an encounter with this Holy Spirit. Oftentimes, the, the Holy Spirit has taken the back seat in churches. Holy Spirit has kind of been like the, the forgotten one of the Trinity. He's like, if the Holy Spirit shows up, that's really, really great. That's fine. We're not quite sure what to do with him. We don't know what... He, what he is. Um, I want you to know, know this morning, the Holy Spirit is, is not some spiritual force. He's not some servant that does our bidding. He is a person. He is God. When I say person, it means that he has specific attributes, characteristics. That Holy Spirit, as we come, he does work in our hearts. He does the work among us. Man, I, I really believe as we take hold of what God has in, in store for our church, man, we're going to see we're going to see a, a city change. We're going to see neighborhoods changed. I want you to know this morning, if you're grieved by the, the current tide of our nation, 
What you need is an encounter with Holy Spirit that causes you to go to your neighbors and tell them about Jesus and show them Jesus. That everywhere that you go, you're so on fire for Jesus that people can see you burning a mile away. If you want to see our nation change, start with your family. Start with your own heart. Start with your neighborhood. Start in your job. And listen, think about this room just right now. 100 people here, right? If just us in this place would begin to take hold of that purpose, that plan, that power that God has given us, and there's no, there's no end to what we could not accomplish. And I just really, I really believe that all we need to do is give people an opportunity to experience God. He is so good. He is so good, and, and he can do more than, uh, more than we could ever do. Holy Spirit can. And so we just need to give people an opportunity to experience God's presence, his power. You know, this last September, I met a, a young college student named Laura. And earlier the day that I met her, Laura was a barista at, at Caribou Coffee. And she was there making coffee and doing the barista things. And two girls, Chi Alpha girls, came in. Chi Alpha's a college ministry. They came in and they were ordered their coffee. And while they were waiting for the coffee, the espresso machine broke down. And so as they're waiting for the repairman to come and fix the espresso machine, they started talking with Laura and talking about their weekend plans. And they said, oh, we're going to this, this conference tonight. It's a bunch of college students. They're coming. We're, we're going to worship Jesus. We're going to hear a word. You should come. And she goes, oh, well, what, what group are you a part of? She said, oh, I'm part of Chi Alpha. And she said, oh, I think, I, I think I've heard of you on campus. I think maybe I've seen your signs. Maybe I've even gone to one of your small groups. But they said, you should come. And she said, okay, I'll, I'll come. Well, that night, man, the Lord just had, had Laura's number, just had her number. At the end of service, I gave a call out for, for anybody. It felt like the Lord was going to heal people with autoimmune disease and specific celiac, specifically celiac disease. And that night, many, many, many students received healing from that. Well, she came up to me and she, in tears. She was bawling, and she said, she said, do you think Jesus can heal me? Do you think Jesus can heal me? And I said, I, I know he can. I know he can. She said, I, I have epilepsy. I have seizures every single day. I have celiac disease. I can't eat any, I can't come near wheat. She said, and I'm going blind. She said, six months ago, I woke up, and my field of vision became very narrow, and I couldn't see color. I went to the doctor because I was very concerned, and the doctor said, you're going blind. You have this disease, and, a, and it could be a six months, it could be another year, it could be a couple years, but you're going blind. She is 21 years old and she's going blind. And she's coming and she's saying, can Jesus heal me? And so we begin to pray. I begin to lay my hands on her and pray, Holy Spirit, touch this young woman. And she opened her eyes and she couldn't believe it. She said, my field of vision is normal and I can see color. <laughs> I can see color. God healed her eyes in that moment. I'm here to declare this morning, six months later, she's not had a seizure. And she's, she's free from celiac disease. Why? Because two girls were on the mission. Two girls were about their father's business and said, we just got to give her an opportunity to experience God's presence. Now, they could have prayed for her right in Caribou. But she came that night and God changed her life. At our annual family meeting a few weeks ago, Amber and Pekovin got up and shared how the Lord Jesus healed her of fatty liver disease. Well, I was so stirred by that testimony, I had a friend call me shortly, um, shortly after that and said, hey, I've been diagnosed with fatty liver disease. He lives in Iowa City. 
diagnosed with fatty liver disease, and he was really shook up about it. He said, my liver, my liver levels are just through the roof. And he said, the same thing. Do you think God could heal me? I said, of course, God can heal you. He wants to heal you. And so we prayed over the phone, just over the phone. Well, he called me the Friday before last and said, Tony, he sent me the email the doctor said, and the doctor said, I don't know what happened to you, but you don't have fatty liver disease anymore. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Come on. God is eager to meet. And just like Pastor Scott was saying, God is eager to meet. And if we just say, Lord, burn me up, burn me up, light me on fire, he will light you on fire. But I'm going to tell you, it's going to cost you something. Your life is not going to be the same. It's not going to be the same. It's going to be different than before. The things that were maybe okay last week aren't going to be okay anymore. The conviction of the Holy Spirit is going to rest harder on your life now, and that's a good thing because it's going to cause you to be more effective that when you stand before Jesus, you can say, Lord, I left it all there. I left it all there. We need to encounter the Holy Spirit this morning in a greater way, in a greater way. And so this morning, I'm going to connect some dots for us. A lot of times when we're, when we're preaching a message, we preach from one we're taking little chunks out of, um, uh, or we're looking at smaller chunks of scripture. Um, but this morning, I want to kind of zoom out a little bit. I want to connect some dots because Jesus had a lot to say about Holy Spirit. He had a lot, and he was setting the disciples up for the rest of their lives, and they didn't even know it. So in John 14, excuse me, I'm going to start in Hebrews. You can stay in John 14. We got a lot to cover in 25 minutes, so you need to, can you guys think fast, digest fast, scroll quickly. Hebrews chapter 1 says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times in various ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through him, he also made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful, powerful word. He's talking about the Old Testament. He's setting the stage for the kingship, the supremacy of Jesus. He said in the Old Testament, God would come upon a prophet, a judge, some chosen man or woman of God, and God would speak. And so the people would wait for this person to speak. I say, what is God saying? Tell us what God is saying. But he's saying, the author of Hebrews is saying now, in these last days, God has spoke to us through his son, Jesus. And so if you want to know what God is like, we just have to look to Jesus because he says that, God, that, that Jesus is the exact representation or the ESV says the exact imprint of his character, of his nature. If you want to know what God the Father is like, we can look at Jesus he is the king. He is the heir of all things. He is the glory of the, the radiance of the Father. So we just look to Jesus to know what the Father says. In John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was God, and the Word was with God, and by him all things were made, and, and through him nothing was made. And without him nothing was made. This, he's declaring the supremacy of Jesus, that from the very beginning, from all eternity, Jesus has been. There was God, the Father, who willed it. There was Jesus, the Word, who spoke it, and Holy Spirit, who did it. And together, in perfect relationship with one another, they accomplished incredible, incredible things. 
So in John chapter 14, we can look at the words of Jesus and know emphatically, this is the will of the Father. And so he starts talking about the Holy Spirit. So like, like I've said before, it's, it's fun to watch kind of the disciples on this journey. They're just hanging on for dear life, trying to figure out what is Jesus talking about? What is he doing? What is happening? And so they're excited because they're seeing Jesus do all these amazing things. Heal people, raise them from the dead, calm storms. And then Jesus says, I think it's in John 9, he says, hey guys, I'm gonna die. And they're like, no, no, that's not the plan. Like, we're just getting started. We've got big plans. I've got an agent for you and everything. This is gonna be incredible. You're gonna go on the speaking tour. It's gonna be amazing. And Jesus is like, no, I'm gonna die. And it, they don't understand it. They don't grasp the gravity of the situation and what it means. It's like, what do you mean you're gonna die? This is, we're just getting started. So then in John 14, 15, and 16, Jesus starts to unpack in a greater and an in-depth level the person of the Holy Spirit and, and what he is going to do. So last week, Pastor Drew talked John 14, um, 5 through 14. And we're gonna pick it up in, in verse 15. So Jesus says this, if you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will send you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Holy Spirit of truth. So Jesus starts saying, if you love me, you're going to do my will. You're going to do the things that, that I want. And then he says, and I'm going to ask the Father to send you another. That word another means uh, another of the same kind. Essentially, he's saying, if you like me, you're going to love the Holy Spirit because we're the same. We're the same. And that word advocate is, means to take his place. So I'm gonna send, there's gonna be, the person of the Holy Spirit is gonna come and he's gonna take my place. And he's gonna be with you forever. It says the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Later on, he says, it's gonna be better that I go. It's better that I go. And they're like, are you kidding me? Think about that. The disciples are with him 24-7. They're following him, doing everything with him. They're watching him pray. They're watching him talk to people. They're watching him deliver people from demons and do all these crazy things. And now Jesus is saying, hey, it's gonna be better that I go. It's gonna be better that I go because the Holy Spirit is gonna come live inside you. He's with you now. He's among you, but he's going to be inside you. And like we read last week, and you're gonna do even greater works. You're gonna do even greater works. It's gonna be better. That was the plan all along. Do you know what Christian means, little Christs? So instead of just the person of Jesus, just one person living on this earth doing all these great things, instead now he has Holy Spirit living in his followers and believers, and now there's little Christs everywhere. Everywhere, all over this world. Isn't that amazing? That's incredible. Little Christs everywhere doing the works of Jesus. So this morning I want to share with you three, three characteristics of relationship that we have with the Holy Spirit. The first one he says is I'm, the Holy Spirit is with you. With you. That means like when we worship together, Holy Spirit is here, right? He's, we know he's always here, but there's this, we have this ability to recognize his presence. The Holy Spirit is God's presence. 
or this ability to recognize his presence, that he's with us, he's here now, and he leads us and he guides us, he's a comforter and counselor, he's with us. And then Jesus says, and he's going to be in you. Holy Spirit had not yet lived in these believers because of the finished work of Christ had not been yet accomplished. So he's gonna be in you, and that's for personal transformation, that's for regeneration, that's for the transformation of your life and your heart. Right, so he says, he's going to be in you, but he's not yet. And they're like, I don't, this doesn't make any sense. But he says, don't worry, don't worry. I'm not gonna leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. I will come to you. If you like me, you're gonna love the Holy Spirit. I'm gonna come to you. You're not gonna be alone. You're never alone. You're never alone. And that's good news for you this morning. If you're in this place and you're lonely, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're never alone. You're never alone. You're not an orphan. He didn't leave you. He didn't walk out on you. He is with you. He is near. He will give you everything that you need for this life. He's inviting you into this relationship, which, which it catalyzes you to win, raises you up to be more than a conqueror. So then in John, we don't have time to get into it this morning, but Jesus continues to talk about what Holy Spirit will do in them. And then shortly after that, Jesus is arrested, put on trial, a criminal's trial, and he's put to death. Most horrific, humiliating, shameful death. Hung naked on a cross for you and I. But then Jesus, on that third day, and we're gonna celebrate it on Easter, I know we celebrate it every single Sunday, but we pick a specific day out of the year, or someone does, picks a specific day out of the year that we say today we're gonna to celebrate together, specifically Jesus being raised to life and what it means for us. So if you turn to John 20, just turn a few pages to your right. Jesus is killed he raised, is raised from the dead, and he appears to Mary, Mary Magdalene, of whom he had cast seven demons out of. She comes against the other disciples, and they come check it out, and they see the empty tomb. And then they're all, in John 20, verse 19, they're all locked in a room together, wondering what's next, what's going to happen now. The dream is dead. And they're locked in this room for fear of their own lives. At any time, the, the Jewish leaders are, are going to come and they're going to knock down the door and they're going to arrest them and kill them as well. And remember, just prior to this, Peter denies even being associated with Jesus at all. And one of those was to a 14-year-old girl. He denies being associated with Jesus. So they, they've officially gone into crisis mode. And what happens on verse 19? It says, on the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be to you. After he said, he said this, he showed him his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Man, locked in a room, Jesus appears he shows up. The doors are locked, which means he walked through a wall or he just appeared, which, man, these guys are like on edge as it is, right? And now all of a sudden Jesus just appears. They're like, what is happening? 
And what does Jesus say? Peace. Peace be to you. Peace. I want you to know this morning, whatever's going on in your life, wherever you are, you are not hidden. He knows where you are. And he knows how to get to you. He knows how to get to you. You could be all locked up. He knows, he knows how to reach you. Holy Spirit wants to reach you. And he says, peace. And that's not a passive. It's not like taking you out of the situation. Peace comes in the midst of crisis. Peace is an occupying agent that says, now where there once was chaos and difficulty, now comes peace. 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 So Jesus says, peace be to you. Peace be with you. And verse 21. And then again, Jesus says, peace be with you. Maybe they didn't hear the first time. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Again, little Christs. Jesus modeled the life that you and I were meant to live. He says, as the Father sent me, now I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. They're not giving, Jesus is not giving them the right of a priest to absolve sin, what he's basically saying, anyone who repents, you can assure them of their salvation, that they are forgiven. People who are unrepentant, you can assure them that they are not. But there's a specific word, breathed, and in the Greek translation of the Septuagint, uh, the Septuagint which is the Greek translation of, of the first five books of the Bible, if you look at Genesis chapter two, verse seven, that word breathed is the same word used when, when it says that God breathed into the nostrils of Adam and he came to life. So now Jesus breathes into these, the first, the very first believers of the new covenant, breathes into them new life. And for the first time, Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of them. He comes and lives inside of them and they are a new creation. They are new. They've come to life for the, for the first time. And then, because of the Holy Spirit, they're starting to put things together a little bit more. First Corinthians in chapter 2, it says that nobody can know the things of God, the heart of God, without the Spirit of God. So the Holy Spirit enlightens and illuminates the things of God to the heart of people. And so, Jesus reinstates Peter. That's a message for a different day. But if you turn one more page to your right, or two, depending on the size of your Bible, to Acts chapter 1. These are Jesus' last words. His last words. So think, I think about when I drop my kids off with my parents. I give them last instructions. And they're short, and they're sweet, and it's like, remember this. Right? Listen to grandma and grandpa. Right? Don't be a little turd. You know, be nice. Use your manners, right? But it's just a very, just if you can only remember these few things, just remember these things. <laughs> but they're important. So these are Jesus' last words before he ascends into heaven. In verse 6, they all gathered around Jesus. This is chapter 1, verse 6. Then they all gathered around Jesus and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? So they thought, okay, he's back. Jesus is back, he's raised from the dead, now he's unstoppable, now he's gonna be our king. He's gonna be the literal king, he's gonna be a warrior, we're gonna take back Israel from the Romans. And Jesus says, no, it's not time for you to know, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. He says, you don't need to worry about that. This is what you need to worry about. But you will receive power 
when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be a witness in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He says the Holy Spirit is going to come on you. You're going to receive power to do what? To be a witness. So the Holy Spirit is with us to lead us and guide us, to comfort us. The Holy Spirit is in us to transform us and change us. And the Holy Spirit comes upon us for power to be a witness everywhere that we go. Listen, do you know there's a difference between drinking a glass of water and jumping in a lake? So we drink a glass of water, and we need it, for, we need it to sustain life, and that's Holy Spirit in us. We drink, we drink of, of the spirit of life, and it sustains us. It brings us life. We need it. We need it for our spiritual life to stay alive. But listen, if I jump in a lake and I came walking in here, everybody would know that I jumped in a lake, right? I'd be dripping wet. I'd be soaked. And if I hugged you then you would be wet as well, right? So now that's like the Holy Spirit. When it comes upon us, man, everywhere you go, people should get a little bit of the Holy Spirit on them, (laughs) right? Your words should bring and breathe life to people. The things that you do should bring and breathe life to people. Bring grace to those who hear it. Draw them into the heart of God. So he says, now wait. Wait, not long from now. So 10 days later, we have the, the Feast of Pentecost, but in, in between there, they're not sure quite what to do. And so they're just in one accord, and it says one accord, which means unity. So think back, throughout the disciples' uh, uh, journey, there was never unity. <laughs> never unity. And now all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit has brought unity. You've heard me say it before, but if we want unity among us, we don't need to be more unity conscious. We need to be surrendered to the Holy Spirit and we will be unified under the Spirit of God. So here they are, 120 of them, and they're praying. Jesus appeared to over 500 people and yet we only see 120 here. But they're all seeking. And so for the next 10 days, they're in this upper room. And in Acts chapter two, and I gotta keep trucking here. In Acts chapter two, it's the day of Pentecost. And so the Jews from all over the world are coming to Jerusalem to observe the Feast of Pentecost. And it's, it's so like God, the, 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 purposefulness, the, the purposefulness, uh, how purposeful God is and how specific in this timing God is. So he waited for this moment when Jews from all over the world had gathered in Jerusalem. And these guys aren't sure what they're waiting for. They're not sure what's going to happen, but they just know that they're supposed to wait and power is going to come. So in verse 1 it says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So we see three things happen. Now, these are Old Covenant believers. So in the Old Testament, we see the Holy Spirit represented, or the presence of God, the Holy Spirit represented as as a cloud, as fire, as wind. So they're not sure what they're even looking for other than that Jesus said there's gonna be power that's gonna come. And so they're not sure what's gonna happen. But we see there's a sound like a wind, and there's tongues 
of fire and they begin to speak some language that they don't know. Now, the Bible doesn't say that they're, whether or not they're speaking an actual language or if they're speaking this heavenly language and through that, people are hearing their own language. Holy Spirit is interpreted. I could tell you many testimonies of that happening. I think it's the latter because we see, and we're not going to read it all through, but we have all these people from all these different nations. They come and they hear because they hear their own language. But then there's some that think that they're drunk. They're like, what are these, what are they speaking gibberish? Right? But Holy Spirit is interpreting that into their ears. And then Peter gets up. Peter the coward. Peter the one who is afraid to acknowledge he's a follower of Jesus to a 14-year-old girl. And I'm sorry if you're 14 and you're a girl. You are powerful. Uh, but he gets up and he starts preaching. And some who are there are the very ones who murdered Jesus. And he gets up. And the first thing he does is he quotes the, the prophecy from Joel in Joel 2. And he says in verse 17, he says, In these last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in these days and they will prophesy. That word all, I will pour out my spirit on all people, means all types of people. All types of people. It doesn't matter who you are, where you came from. It doesn't matter if you're young or if you're old, if you're a man or you're a woman, what socioeconomic status you have. It doesn't matter. God's fear will be poured out on all people, anybody who wants. And Peter later says that this is available to anybody who wants it. Anybody who wants it. And that day, 3,000 people 3,000 people come to know Jesus. And over the next two years, there's over 10,000 people and God's church explodes. So some of the people that, that were baptized in the Holy Spirit, saved, baptized in water, and baptized in the Holy Spirit, some stayed in the church in Jerusalem, but some went back to their own nation. And just like that, the gospel spread overnight. Isn't that amazing? And that the more the Jewish leaders try to squelch it and squash it out, the more it spreads. The more it spreads. It's amazing. And so now we move from Acts 2 to Acts 3, which is actually a two-year period. And we see this new normal being established, the new normal. Read the book of Acts. This should be the normal life for every believer. If you were stranded on a deserted island, you never met a Christian in your whole life, and you picked up this book, and you read the book of Acts, which is the history of the, the beginning of the church, you read it, you'd be like, I got to meet one of these Christians. I got to meet one of these Christians. And if you walked into many churches or met a Christian, you'd be like, this is a lot different than what I read here. Because what's normal to us, just honestly, we want to set the bar a little lower for ourselves. And I'm, I'm just going to make a side note here. I, I want to just deliver us from something this morning. Oftentimes in the church, when we see somebody on fire for God, in their word, talking to people about Jesus, in, in a place of prayer, we say, well, they must be called to ministry. And we don't do it maybe consciously, but we, we, we're trying to separate them from our, us and lift them up to this place. Well, they must be one of God's special people. Rather than, this is what a normal Christian is. This is what a normal Christian is. And some are called to full-time vocational ministry, but you are called to ministry in your family, in your, in your marriage, in your neighborhood. You are called to ministry, and none of us are exempt from that. None of us 
are excused. So for the next couple chapters, we see this normal, this, this normal Christian life uh, kind of laid out before us. But in chapter 5 and verse 12, it really just gives us a brief synopsis of what, it, what the normal Christian life is like for these people. In chapter 5, verse 12, it says, The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade, and no one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on them. As he passed by, crowds gathered also from towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. All of them were healed. Every single one, all of them were healed. So that word in the Greek means all. <laughs> Every one. Not, there wasn't one that wasn't. That means all, Right? And this is the life of every Christian. And listen, I understand, I see it. You might look around and be like, well, that's not what's happening. I pray for people and they don't get healed all the time. That's not the normal that I'm seeing in my life. Well, listen, is the issue God? Is the issue his word or is the issue me? I can tell you emphatically that it's, it's not God. But we can't lower the standard because of our own experience. Listen, if you pray for a thousand people and one person gets healed of cancer, one person, is it worth it? I can tell you that it is for that one person. If you tell a thousand people about Jesus and one comes to know Jesus, is it worth it? I can tell you that it, that it is for that one person. Come on, we need to encounter this Holy Spirit and say, God, fill me to overflowing. God, complacency may be so disgusting to me. May I run so far from it? And run hard into you, God. Worship team, you can come. Listen, this is, this, is, this is the life of every believer. Is that we want to cower the Holy Spirit. But many of us stop in John 20. We come and we, we know Jesus and we experience new life. We experience new life. And we say, this is really great. Man, what God's doing in my heart. But we stop there. We don't know that there's more. It doesn't make you a higher class of Christian doesn't make you better than anyone, but there's more. The Holy Spirit wants to come on you. He wants to come on you. Why? So you can have power to be a witness. So you can have greater intimacy with the Lord. So you can share in this, this heavenly prayer language with God. This is for anybody and everybody who wants it. And listen, the people who don't get it are those who don't ask. God wants to, this for every single person. So we can stand across this place. Listen, we have 35 minutes before the next service starts. <laughs> so this morning, I know this is the heart of, of, Drew, of Pastor Drew. It's just that we're not playing games anymore. There's, a, there's just a, a nation, a community that is desperate, that is desperate to know God. Their souls are crying out. Their spirit is calling out to God and they don't even know it. Just think about your own life, that moment that you came, this realization that God could change your heart. He could change your life. Man, all around us, there's people. And God's eyes are searching to and fro throughout the earth, looking to strengthen a heart that's holy His.
So this morning, I'm not going to twist anybody's arms. I'm not going to beg you. But in a moment, I'm going to call those who are weary, those who are discouraged, those who just need a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit, or those in this place who've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit and you want to pray, we're going to pray for you and God's Spirit's going to be poured out in your life. Or if you need healing, you need deliverance from depression, anxiety, we've seen just so, I can't even count them anymore, the amount of people that have been delivered of depression and anxiety, autoimmune diseases, and God wants to do that in you this morning. So we can bow our heads across this room. I want to ask one question before we before we move any further. If you're in this room this morning and you say, Tony, I don't have a relationship with Jesus, but I, but I want one. Or maybe you've had one in the past, but it's grown cold and stagnant and you need to get your life right with Jesus this morning. If that's you, would you just put a hand up? Would you be bold and put your hand up? I want to pray for you. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anybody else? Thank you. You can put your hands down. This is the best decision you're ever going to make. I want to pray a prayer, and I want you to say a prayer like this in your own heart. Lord, I recognize this morning that I'm, I'm far from you, that I'm in need of a Savior, that the sin in my life is eclipsing my ability to even see your hand moving. So Lord, right now, I thank you for that gift of salvation that comes only through the blood of Jesus, only through the blood of Jesus. God, I, I receive it, and I say, wash me, wash me in Jesus' name. Wash every sin as far as east is from the west, so my sin is removed from me. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you come, live, and reside in Jesus' name. Right now, I turn, God, from anything that isn't pleasing to you. I repent from, from anything that I'm running after more than you. And I just turn to you, Jesus, the author, the finisher, the beginning and the end, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.